welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Lisa, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. It is cold now in Boston, so I'm not looking forward to now cold, it being cold for the next like five months. But other than that, things are going great. Excellent. Yeah. How's the? How are things out in LA? LA, it's gorgeous. It's sunny. And um, I mean, for here, it's cold, but you're talking like mid to high 60s so i'm kind of i've been having yeah just wait, wait, wait rub, <laughs> rub that in there oh. <laughs> southern california i know it's supposed to be just beautiful all the time it sounds awful absolutely awful it is it's horrible i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's all right that's, uh, just how it works out sometimes mm-hmm. so i'd like to start off by asking um the question because of the fact that you've done a lot of different things in your life and, and you're focused on a, on a project now uh, running a company called Running Wild Press, when you're at a party and somebody pops a question of, what do you do? How do you mm-hmm. answer that? Oh, wow. So it depends on the party. <laughs> okay. So it's a party where I'm with um, like a lot of other writer, writers or creatives um, then I'll tell them, oh, I'm uh, one of the founders and executive editor for Running Wild Press and kind of tell them about our mission and vision and how we started. Um, if I'm in a room of individuals who like that's not quite their forte, um, then uh, I'm much more vague about what I what I do for a living. So, yeah, I it just depends on who I'm speaking to. Sure. Are you vague because you don't want them to ask you too many questions or are you vague just because you're not sure if they're really that interested? It, it's more of the latter. Um, okay. I noticed that a, a lot of times, like let's say if I'm in at, at a party or I'm in at some type of social engagement and, you know, all the individuals there are, let's say, accountants, mm-hmm. um, most likely they don't care. Um <laughs> <laughs> or I'm more like, uh, you know, it, it's like uh, an interesting uh, anomaly in the room that, you know, they can kind of ask bizarre questions of, which uh, I, I prefer not um, having that experience. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have, So I've been in that room before um, with, uh, with someone I was dating years ago, and, and uh, she was with a bunch of Wall Street coworkers. And you're right. The, being the person in the room with the, let's say, interesting job, meaning it's just different from everyone else's, and suddenly they're either really interested in what you're doing and ask bizarre questions, or mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I don't care, and they kind of walk off. So I totally understand right. that part. Yeah, exactly. My my favorite is I had someone who somehow decided that <clears throat> I was going to publish their book and that um, – <laughs> Not only was I going to publish it, I was going to make sure it would become a New York Times bestseller. 
And I kind of just stood there with my glass of seltzer and was like, really, that's what's going to happen. Wow. And, you know, created a timeline for it, how long it would take. I mean, this is in the span of minutes. Wow. So this is the, the future, right? Yeah. And I had never met this person before. So I was just like, wow, that's fascinating. And I somehow politely um, extricated myself from the conversation and, you know, left the party not too shortly thereafter <laughs> to avoid any <laughs> further discussions. So, yeah, it's it fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So did they end up contacting you later to follow up on their, their grandiose plan? They were pretty aggressive about it, actually. Um, and so it was a lesson. That was one of my key lessons of, okay, so don't, you know, say, don't necessarily mention in mixed company um, running wild press and, and our mission and vision. Because some people, a lot of people I'm finding, if, they're, if they are not writers, they're not editors, they're not from the publishing industry, mm -hmm. they take it very um, personally, like, oh, this person can help help me fulfill or push forward the fulfillment of my dream of X, mm -hmm. which in theory I, I get, um, but in reality it's not that simple. Um, so, yeah, she's very aggressive, and I had to politely tell her she should probably get a ghostwriter because she did send me the manuscripts, by the way. Oh, oh nice. So, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was very nice of her. <laughs> and your reply was, yeah, that's great. Maybe you should get a ghostwriter. <laughs> Was that like a nice way of saying her pages were terrible? It was a nice way of saying, well, I, I, it was unsolicited, right? Because I never said I would read it and, mm -hmm. um, or any of us would read it from the press. Um, but I thought, okay, she's this passionate about it. I'll still check it out. And mm -hmm. so I did. Um, and it, it did need, a, it needed a lot of work, the kind of work that in, in my opinion, it would take, a lot more time than anyone at our press has right now. Mm -hmm. um, which is why we made the suggestion or I made the suggestion to go with a ghostwriter mm -hmm. um, and, and then decide where she felt the right press would be. So, um, but yeah, it is kind of a polite way of saying it's not, it's not ready for publication. So <laughs> that's kind of you. Mm hmm. <laughs> So you've had an interesting, I guess, just path in general. So mm -hmm. what did you study in undergrad? Oh, wow. So in undergrad, uh, and I'm going to put a caveat to this. Mm -hmm. So when I went to college, my father made me promise I wouldn't get a quote unquote useless degree. Okay. And um, yeah, so I, and I had a wide variety of um, interests at the time because um, I was I was pretty good at math. I was very good at um, English sciences, very good at the arts. The thought that was being in school for like 10 years, such as to become like an architect or something like that horrified me. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I went down the path of, I got a BS in communications, which I find hilarious. Mm -hmm. Most people kind of look at me oddly because they don't understand what the joke is, but that's okay. And, um, but I, so I have a BS in communications. I have an MBA and I also have an MFA in creative writing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got the BS in communications actually from a sciences school, um, an engineering school because I wanted to have a balanced, uh, undergraduate. So, uh, math and sciences as well as, um, English and literature and the arts, um, which I did get, which mm -hmm. is great. So, 
Um, and then that took me to, um, I, I worked a lot in, uh, for corporations. So part of the reason my father said, don't get a useless degree is he had been a radio personality. And so in his mind, anything that was more arts and, and mind you, my father was born in 1922. And so I was uh, like, I was, I wasn't an oops baby, but I was definitely a (laughs) like later in life baby. Sure. (laughs) And, um, so, you know, when he was coming up, Anything in the arts was useless, right? So mm-hmm. don't get a theater, don't get a anything, you know, English, fine, you can become a teacher, right? Um, so I got the communications degree because in that way I, I knew I could feed myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which then led me to uh, work at in different corporations. Um, I typically um, worked in technology because I could translate what this really super techie genius engineer guys were saying to like the rest of the world Mm -hmm. right oh yeah and and um i did a lot of what while i was doing that i did a lot of um i was doing a lot of writing on the side um i wrote it for different really small newspapers um different publications and um Actually, the day that I got my MBA, um, we had our capstone course and I, uh, you know, I, we did the presentation and got an A. Yay. You know, everyone's <laughs> happy. And I went home and it was like this uh, valve in my psyche popped and I, I just spewed forth a short story. Mm-hmm. And I thought this must be the most horrible short story on the planet because I had not written creatively since high school. And because um, I was very focused more on, you know, maths and sciences and, and English, but more in like a corporate, like AP style writing perspective. Yeah. And um, I, so I, I was like, okay, let me see if this is crap. Right. <clears throat> and I was obviously convinced that this was true. So um, I signed up for a writer's conference called the Philadelphia Writers Conference. And uh, part of it was they had a contest and you could submit, you know, short stories. So I promised myself I would revise that short story. So I thought it was passable and submit it to this con- uh, contest. And, and what would happen is whoever your instructor was, <clears throat> they would read that short story, whatever you submitted and give feedback. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, great. If I don't win, I mean, of course I wanted to win, right? Even though I thought it was crap, I still wanted to win. Like, come on, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Makes Who sense. Who doesn't want to? Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't, like, <laughs> lack of experience does not mean that you're not going to win. Like, you're like, a, you could yeah. be this great hidden talent. And that makes perfect sense. Exactly. Right. Like the story about the guy who the only thing he ever read his entire life was the Bible and somehow spewed forth this piece of genius. Exactly. To this day, I have a really hard time believing that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if he was pretty eloquent, which from what I understand he was, because if anybody reads the Bible, there's not a lot of multisyllabic words in it, but mm-hmm. okay. So <laughs> that's fine. Um, so anyway, so I submitted it and I mean, I was scared to death because, uh, you know, I, they tell people who win. I'm pretty sure they told them like beforehand. Right. So I knew I didn't win. Okay. So then my brain immediately goes to like, Oh my God, it's the world's worst story ever. 
right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in class, and it was like a three-day con- uh, three class. And on the second day, he says, oh, I'm supposed to give everybody back their feedback, right? Mm-hmm. And he pulled, he, he's like, you know, is Lisa Kastner here? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, I need to talk to you on the side. Well, clearly at this point, I think I'm going to die, right? <laughs> <laughs> he is going to kick me out of the conference. I am the world's worst writer. He's going to let me know all the reasons why I was an idiot to even show up. And I'm like, well, at least I have my fallback of a BS in communications. I have an MBA. And at that point I had a, a bit of experience, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he actually literally pulls me aside into a conference room that's not being used. And he's just like, you were meant to be a writer. He's like, your, your writing's wonderful. Um, this is one of the top stories that I read. Uh, you need to keep pursuing this. And I mean, I could have cried because I got myself so worked up. Right. Yeah. So that whole power of negative thinking and power of positive thinking is so spot on. Um, but yeah, I had, I was so spun up that I, I was like, can I hug you? Like, can I, (laughs) (laughs) you're now my new best friend, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to follow you around forever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so he was just like, yeah, you know, keep, keep doing it. Right. You've, you've got, you've got the chops You're This is actually, if, you know, if if he could call a vocation, like he was like, you know, this should be your vocation. Mm -hmm. So again, though, I like eating. And, um, the reality, (laughs) and I like having a home Mm -hmm. and, (laughs) and the reality for most writers, if you are not either, um, a journalist in a corporate environment, um, working for some corporation in some capacity, you don't work for a newspaper, um, creative writers rarely make their money only in creative writing. Mm -hmm. It is nigh it's not impossible but it's like like the top i used to say five percent it's probably like one percent now um the the stories of the jk rawlings and the stephen kings and all that um are are wonderful wonderful stories and and they're stories right right they are they are that one percent right so um like many other writers i said i thought okay great i'll continue to pursue this on the side Mm -hmm. um and I had the great pleasure of being invited to many, um, like by invitation only writers groups, um, where I got to work with, with other writers who are just, I mean, fantastic and their writing's gorgeous and amazing storytellers. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was accepted into several well-known, uh, writers conferences like, uh, Breadloaf Writers Conference and, um, Squaw Valley Writers Conference and Yale and again, got to work with amazing instructors and also fellow students. And I hit a point where um, more and more of my fellow students were coming to me and saying, if you are ever teaching a workshop, I want to attend it. Because mm-hmm. um, like the feedback you gave me was the most valuable of the ones that I received. So to me, that was a huge nod. Okay, now, all right, let me... And, and by that point, I didn't not find the feedback valuable, but most of what I was get, getting in workshop, it was stuff that I already knew about the piece, right? Mm-hmm. So there were no grand epiphanies for me. Um, it was more of a, a reinforcement, I guess you could say, of what worked in the, the stories and, and maybe what didn't work. 
Okay. So, um, so anyway, so I started running wild writers community and, um, that was both an online and an in-person workshop community where we brought writers together from all different genres. And, uh, basically I invited other writers that I knew to come and teach, uh, something that they were specialists in. So for instance, uh, one of actually someone we're publishing now, his name's Jack Hillman. He writes sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. Well, for those genres, world building is critical, effective world building. And so I asked him to come and teach a class on world building, and it was phenomenal, right? Mm -hmm. So it it was kind of finding those key, more craft-related elements and being um, known or semi-known authors to come in and teach. And And I also taught classes as well. Um, so then I had the opportunity to move at that point. I was on the East coast. Uh, my husband and I had the opportunity to move out to Los Angeles. And, um, when I got out here, um, it's a very different writers community. So, um, in, in LA, a lot of it's more about, um, screenplay writing and Mm. a little bit of theater, but it's more about writing for screen. Mm-hmm. than it is about, you know, writing or a short story or what have you. So um, I was still very active in all the different writers' communities I had referenced before, so the Yales and the Squaw Valleys, and um, I was still in touch with all the people I knew in Philadelphia and New York and Connecticut and Massachusetts and all that. And um, I had been talking to some former mentors from my, my MFA program fairfield university um Mm -hmm. we call ourselves fu mfa again (laughs) if you don't get the joke i apologize i think it's hilarious (laughs) so we're the fu mfaers nice we have t-shirts and everything you should check it out um (laughs) i need to do that because i would love that (laughs) right exactly so uh (laughs) so um i come out here and uh, I was talking to some friends of mine, and at this point, I've written like a, a, a memoir, which was at the behest of actually someone from uh, Penguin. Um, uh, he had read the I, I had written an, um, a, a short memoir, like a an 18 page thing, at mm-hmm. at the request of uh, one of my instructors in, at the MFA, and he loved it. And he was like, "Okay, I need you to write the full memoir," and se- and send it to me, right? And so I, so I did, and he came back and was like, uh, it, he took like a year and a half to get back to me. And he was like, oh, we don't publish things like this anymore. I was like, for realsies, you asked for <laughs> me to send this to you, dude. Like, okay, fine, whatever. So anyway, so I'd written a memoir, and I had written like four books, right, mm-hmm. novel-length pieces, mm-hmm. and tons of short stories, blah, blah, blah. And I've been published in all these different journals and all that happiness. Anyway. And there were a couple pieces that I kept sending out. I'd wait a year or two and I'd send it out again to different agents. And either I wouldn't get feedback or I would get feedback. And the feedback was, I love this. It's great. I don't know where to put it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know where to sell it. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. So um, some of my um, MFA instructors, you know, I'm still friends with, and they had read the same pieces and, and they were really honest and said, Lisa, you could have published this, you know, ages ago. 
that's not the question. It's not the quality. It's not the story. The question is, where would it fit on a bookshelf? Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's really fascinating. And the more I was, I was asking around, the more I discovered it wasn't like a, this wasn't like a conspiracy theory against Lisa, right? This was mm-hmm. actually very common in the publishing industry. There are tons and tons of wonderful, wonderful writers and their stories are engaging and the prose are great, but they're not really writing horror. They're not writing literary. They're not writing romance or commercial mm-hmm. fiction or whatever. What they're writing is somewhere in between the lines, right? Mm-hmm. And so unless an agent or an editor at a big house can say, or even a small house can read it and say, ah, that I can sell that to Barnes and Noble and it would fit on this shelf under this skew in this genre or subgenre, then the likelihood that they're going to take it on is very, very, very low. Right. And a lot of the people who were like this were, uh, I knew, right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had friends that I had read their pieces in workshop or, um, you know, as an aside or whatever. And I'd follow up with them like, Hey, like I was convinced this is going to be not just the bestseller. Like this is going to be a classic. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I find out they had the same experience, right. They couldn't sell it for crap. Hmm. They send it all around and they would get similar feedback. I love it. I don't know where to put it. Right. So uh, the press actually started as um, sort of a start from that. Okay. Um, I bitched online on Facebook because <laughs> I had just read a friend of mine's uh, his his story was actually a blend of like satire and meets mystery uh, meets uh, like humor commercial fiction right. It is hilarious, right? I love this this book. Yeah. And I just finished reading it, and I knew he had been trying to sell it for like five years, right? And and nobody would pick it up. And so I complained online, and that what you know what's wrong with these people? And I mean, I didn't call out him or his book, right? But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but in general, and one of my friends who's um, an editor. She, she also she runs a small press as well. Her focus is on noir. Mm-hmm. She messaged me privately and she said, "Look, instead of complaining about it, do either become an agent or start your own press." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, valid, right?" Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be an agent because I know you know some agents I adore, some I really don't, right? <laughs> and I don't know. I'm not sure that one more agent. Um, I mean, I could say the same thing about presses, but I didn't know that me being an agent would be effective. Mm-hmm. So put it that way. Right. Okay. Um, so my, I told my husband the story and, um, he finally, after a, a little while, um, he said, why don't you just, just do it? Just start your own press. Mm-hmm. He's like, everyone talks about, you know, uh, you always get this amazing feedback from people on your editing style. And cause I'm more of like a, a, a concept editor. I mean, I, I do line edits as well, but you know, uh, I'm, I'm better, I guess, at concept. Okay. Um, anyway, so he, uh, my husband's like, just do it, right? So we already kind of had a business plan because I already knew the publishing industry to a certain extent, right? And I obviously knew um, about writing because uh, mm-hmm. I'd been at this point, I'd for 
way too long. And, um, <laughs> and so I, I, I thought, okay, great, but I can't do this by myself. Right. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to Jade Blackwater and Jade and I had known each other. We've now known each other for, uh, more than 10 years. And we started off in a, a writer's workshop that I started when I, not long after that amazing instructor at the Philadelphia Writers Conference said, you know, you need to keep writing. Um, and, but then he also said, you need a writer's group, right? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so I started one because, hey, why not? And Jade was in that writer's group. Okay. And Jade is an amazing editor. She's an amazing concept editor. But, uh, you know, she's also has a lot of experience in public relations and marketing. And um, I do as well. But that's more her like her primary consulting work is in that area. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I reached out to her and I said, would you want to do start this press with me? And without hesitation, uh, she was like, yeah, let's do it. So that's really what started um, running Wild Press. And um, yeah, it's really exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah, that's great. So I'm curious then with with so with Running Wild Press particularly when you were starting it because you mentioned you know you you already had this background in in the publishing industry and in writing but were there because of the fact that of of course you know being the writer versus someone who's running an actual the publishing side of it it's a little bit different were there there books you were reading or mentors you reached out to to kind of fill in the gaps or were you and Jay just both like, let's just go for it and then we'll figure it out as we go along? I'm big into talking to people. So I had actually already knew a lot of people who had started their own presses. Um, a lot of them actually come to the writers conferences that I'd mentioned. And I had had several discussions with them, um, uh, you know, from different publishing houses and actually like New Rivers Press. Um, did a reading at my house uh, as part of a uh, association of writers and writing programs. Mm-hmm. So like I, I knew that I knew the founders of, of that press. Um, I've met, you know, several uh, people who are, who run small presses and I asked them like, you know, what got you started? Why did you do it? How are you doing it? What's your business model? You know, so forth and so on. And um, the vast, and, and this was even before talking to Jade, right? Sure. And, um, the vast majority came back and said, I, you know, I started it, well, believe it or not, a, a lot of the ones that have been around for a long time that are more like, uh, poet based mm-hmm. or poem based, they started because there weren't at the time that many presses that would publish poems. Right. So, um, them and their friends got together and said, let's start a press focused on poetry. And I was like, okay, well that, I get that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I I did the research and I knew that like again this is going to be so it reinforces my father's whole concept of don't get a useless degree I guess right so <laughs> <laughs> he uh, they all said look you know they basically barely made enough even maybe today to pay the bills right. And the reality was that the first five years and 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 anybody you talk to who started their own business this is thematic. Mm-hmm. Typically, the first two to five years, you're lucky if you're making enough to break even, right? And um, and that's whether you have a business model. I mean, 
you can have investors, but again, if it's a small, small, especially a small press, you know, you're looking at, you're pantsing it, you know, yeah. financially for a bit. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that I was like, okay, I'm okay with that. Cause I knew my husband and I let my husband know that. And so, you know, he was fine with that. And I let Jade know that, you know, like this is the concept and so forth and so on. Um, and, um, so she was fine with that. And we actually explored, um, different business models around running wild press, like doing, maybe having a part of it be, uh, classes, right. Cause I've already run workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe we have our instructors come in and use that same concept, right. They can teach online classes and then that way they're getting additional income. Um, and, and it, it's augmenting our operation our operational costs or, yeah. you know, um, it's help, helping fund us. Um, and, uh, but it, it always, it kept coming down to like, okay, the reality of running a press and the reality of running a press is it's a, initially it is, it's not just a passion, right? Because it can't just be a passion. It has to be your passion. You have to have a business mindset about it. And with that business mindset means there's going to be a lot of work, yeah. right? So you kind of get one, our approach has been, you get one arm together, right? In other words, so we start off with anthologies, um, novella and short stories. Okay. Um, we, we don't necessarily do a broad open call um, for submissions because right now we have about, it's Jade and I and four um, basically volunteers, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we can only, well, can let me read the six volunteers. I'm glad I didn't name any, anybody. So no one got mad at me for forgetting to. <laughs> exactly. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, we're all doing this, um, as part of, uh, all the other things that we're doing in our lives. Right. So, um, you know, we start off with the short stories and with an anthology and that way we get to find people who, you know, they kind of write in between the lines. They write great stories, um, or there's, there's great bones to the stories they're submitting and they're, they're willing to work with us in taking those bones and really creating something beautiful. Right. Um, and, and identifying the, those either, um, hidden gems. So, and, and I don't want to say like, you know, those overnight successes, because the reality is, um, I think everybody who has sent us anything has been writing for at least five years that we've published. Right. So no one is anywhere close to being an overnight success, but this may actually be their first uh, published, like in paper uh, published piece. Um, Okay. So anyway, um, so the bones of it is more like, okay, the publishing house. And then at some point, you know, we'll, you may augment it with, um, you know, instruction um, workshops, that kind of thing again, to kind of help with your, the base operational costs. Um, and then we're also exploring doing like online comic books. So, you know, the kind that like you click on it and then it's interactive, that kind of, uh, so yeah, Yeah. because we've had quite a few stories that would translate really well into graphic novels. So we wanted to, we want to publish them both in your classic standard, like paperback form and ebook form, as well as in an online graphic novel format. So, 
Um, yeah. So I don't even know if I answered your question because I kind of just rambled on forever. But there you go. <laughs> yeah, of, of course you did. So I'm, <laughs> I'm interested in hearing about um, like your your business model versus, let's say, the Amazons of the world, because obviously Amazon now is like the big behemoth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I talk to a, a fair number of people who are in the self-publishing industry and they're like, you know, what, don't go through, a, you know, you don't need to go through a, a publishing press. Amazon will do all that stuff for you. And I'm sure there's pros and cons for each of those. But how do you as a as a smaller press, how do you approach and think about, you know, the the connection between what you're doing and then Amazon? And is that something that you're necessarily worried about or is it just because you know you have your particular niche and you're going to be the best at it versus and not worry about what amazon's doing with their like taking over the world thing (laughs) that's a great question so um (laughs) i'm uh, so i'm not worried about it but not for any of the reasons that you said although they were all fascinating sure um (laughs) so i mean i think every writer has to make their own personal choice Right. And decide what is best for them. And, you know, what I consider to be great writing and what I consider to be a great story, someone else may not. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's just that's just truth. Right. Um, I know I actually I'm I'm friends with several people who've published on Amazon. I actually the first I just to experiment years ago, I published one of my short stories, which is I wrote in the vein of uh, a thousand years of solitude. Um, And. I publish it on Amazon uh, just to see, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's fine. Um, <laughs> if you are a business writer, <laughs> if you're a business writer, publishing on Amazon probably makes a lot of sense. Okay. The reason for that is you, you already have a platform, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are a business writer, so you're writing the next um, – of course, I'm going to mind blank. I'm like sitting here in my office staring at books and like not a single darn one of them is a business book right now. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? That and is. I read I read all of them, too. That's horrible. That well, also right sitting next to me is uh, Ray Dalio's Life and Work Principles, which is just like, you know, Ray Dalio is the uh, he's a big hedge fund guy who's basically like the hedge fund guy. And he wrote a book about his principles and business philosophies is like that, like that kind of like. I don't want to say business yes. card book, but like, is it more of like a business card book you're talking about? Exactly. Yes. Okay. So let's use him. Okay. <laughs> let's pretend he published on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. He, he probably already has podcasts and a blog and speaks at conferences. And his job is to consult others on hedge on approaches to hedge funds, right? Mm-hmm. That's his day job. He has a very natural platform to publish on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Because he can sell it when he's going to conferences. He can sell it any, you know, anywhere, basically, wherever he's physically going to go. If you are a nonfiction writer or a fiction writer, and, and I'm going to clarify nonfiction for a sec. Sure. I mean, like memoir or creative nonfiction. Um and any kind of fiction writer, you don't have that platform necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. It's unusual that you do. Yeah. I mean, I had I wrote a blog for a couple of years, and I got to know a lot of other writers that way because at the time, I mean, it was kind of 
masturbatory because we were all just sitting around talking about, oh, our writing lives and how, you know, brilliant we are and how fabulous it is that we did whatever. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and um, and some of them actually went on to be, I mean, they're huge bestselling uh, novelists now. Right. So uh, I'm allowed to call them masturbatory because I just called myself that too. <laughs> sure. But <laughs> so, um, you know, so we were trying to build platforms. I mean, that was the bottom line. Right. But we didn't we weren't doing it right. And okay. and most fiction and nonfiction writers and, and you know, are doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. The reason is that their their audience is themselves. So if their real intent was to sit down and start a writer's conference then great, write a book about how to start a writer's conference. If your real intent is to get um, readers, there's an assumption in that approach that all writers are readers or Mm -hmm. all readers are writers, and that's not true. A lot of readers are not writers, right? Um, R-I-G-H-T, not W-R-I-T. So... (laughs) (laughs) Well, probably probably that true as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So with that assumption, right, they're not actually building a, a fan base, right? They're basically building a community of people like them, which yeah. is fine, right? But it's not building a platform, okay? right? So um, as you can tell, I've taught classes on um, building your own brand. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if, you, if you're in, more on the business side, Amazon's a great choice right and if you really are or if if you're really um proliferate and Mm -hmm. you just you you write constantly right and you're amazing at networking and you know you can pop out a story like a month right amazon Mm -hmm. is the place for you because because you write so frequently and because you are so social Right. Which is, mm. you know, you're a very social animal and you're out there and you're talking to tons of people, blah, blah, blah. Amazon yeah. on dead spot on. Right. OK. Mm-hmm. If if you are not that person, <laughs> <laughs> then most likely you're probably going to seek out uh, a small press or some type of publishing house to represent you. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is and I was actually calculating it this morning because I have way too much time on my hands, which is a lie. Um <laughs> To publish a book and do, uh, and I mean, relative, pretty inexpensively, right? Where you're using um, uh, volunteers and, you know, you're probably, it's going to cost you somewhere around per book, mm-hmm. $25 to $4,500 per book. Okay. So you, you need to try and recoup that $25 to $4,500 yourself. So let's think about that, Right. The reality is, is that even with publishing on Amazon, um, you're only going to make a couple bucks per book, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if you if you do that, you're you're putting out, you know, and that's on the low side, twenty five hundred to forty five hundred. That's on the low side. Yeah. Most most people are going to probably spend closer to ten to twenty thousand per book um, if they do it on their own. Okay. So if you go with the press, um, we're basically we're not only investing um, financially, we're investing in terms of helping that writer grow, right, and helping mm-hmm. them understand that 
you know, they're not writing for a blog anymore. They're not writing for their writers. They're actually writing for an audience mm -hmm. and um, get them to think more in that capacity, right? Because it doesn't matter how clever you are or how brilliant your concept is or how you rewrote the Bible so that it's now in 2025. No one cares <laughs> un unless that story kicks ass, yeah. right? Right. So, um, you know, again, I think there's room for everything, for the mm -hmm. big houses, for the small presses, and for the Amazons. I think it's just that you, as the person who's creating that product, you have to be real with yourself. What is it that you are creating and what is your purpose? Is your purpose to make a bunch of money? Is your purpose to get your story out there? Um, is your purpose that, you know, you want to, it's to augment a larger business that you already have, right? Mm -hmm. There's room for everybody. So, okay. you know, you should go so, for it if they want to use Amazon. Just yeah. Don't call me. I'm not going to edit it for you. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so I actually that I have, that brings up my next question on on yours, in your press. So you said you have some open calls for for submissions, but are you actively looking for new writers and new stories out there? And then with that, you know, are do you work with them then to launch everything? Are you giving them um you know like a, an advance part of that? Mm -hmm. Is that how your business model works, or how yep. does your system work? Um, so I'm going to tell you some stuff that's slightly controversial, even sure. within the press. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we don't really do open calls. So we do have a submittable page, right? Okay. Which, which most presses, uh, well, I can't say that that's absolutely true, but yeah, so we have a submittable page mm -hmm. and, um, on there we have it where you can submit novels, novellas, uh, nonfiction, narrative poems, and two that are open, um, and none of them are not open. Let me put it that way. They're all open, I guess. We don't advertise it really. Yeah. Um, the reason that we don't really advertise it, and this is the part that'll be controversial, is because we're small. And um, from being in this industry for years, I know that it's way too easy to push out a story and go, oh my gosh, it's brilliant. Like, you, you know, you knock it out at midnight, you wake up at 10 a.m. the next day or whatever. And you're like, ah, oh, it's still brilliant. And you send it somewhere, right? Uh -huh. Okay, so now let's expand that to like hundreds, if not thousands, if not a million people who all want to be writers or who are all writers in some capacity. Yeah. We're all of six people. There is no freaking way. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That we have the time to go through that kind of volume of open submissions, right? Mm -hmm. Now, even within the press, I mean, this is me being a dictator. Um, even within the press, we have uh, people who completely disagree with me on that. We should have advertisements or we should be listed in like every known writer's uh, website and anyone should be able to find us and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I won't do it. I will let different well-known conferences know when we have uh, open calls for like short, the short story anthology, which is annual, the novella anthology, which is annual. And I will let them know that we do quietly take novels, novellas and nonfiction and narrative poems on an ongoing basis, mm -hmm. but we don't openly uh, advertise it um, for, for all the reasons I just said. 
Now, when we accept a piece, um, so that was kind of like, I think, the part two of your question. So we go through and we're like, ah, this is wonderful or, hey, this is really good. It could use some editing or I'd love to collaborate with this writer on making this something that would be really beautiful. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, What we do, if it's a part, if it's a part of an anthology, they're paid. Right. And we only option first rights. We don't option anything else. Right. Mm -hmm. And that it's a more of a. I, I call it the email agreement, right? Because in reality, email is a binding contract, whether people realize it or not. But <laughs> Right, it totally is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I, you know, just send them a note and say, hey, we'd love to publish your story. And, um, or the press does. It's usually me, though, in all honesty. Um, we'd love to publish your story. And with that, um, we'll pay you X amount. And I just need to know that you're willing, to, you are willing to collaborate with the editor, Right. And the reason for that, too, is um, some writers, it's not frequent. It's definitely a very, very small group. Um, as far as they're concerned, they wrote it. It's done. Okay. Right? They don't want to work with an editor. And that's great. And that's wonderful. And they have every right to do that. We, though, our whole goal is to take these writers and help them really make their story shine so that it's going to hit a broader audience. Right. And so if someone openly says, I don't want to do that, then that's wonderful. There's a ton of other presses. There are hundreds of other presses out there, like literally hundreds that they're more than welcome to to submit to. Right. Yeah. Um, So once we get confirmation that the person, the, the writer would love to collaborate with us, um, we do a very, very, very thorough line edit. Um, and then we also do the concept edit. Okay. And um, it's more, again, it's a dialogue. So rarely is it take out this whole paragraph, it sucks, right? We don't do that, right? <laughs> we do more concept edits. Like, we'll ask, what is the function of this paragraph in service of the story? Okay. Right? So um, let's say, for example, someone wrote a story and the main character goes off on a diatribe for like this backstory for three pages and then all of a sudden clunk you're now back in the present right Mm -hmm. that is very very awkward it's very hard to pull that off well um and it it comes it doesn't drive a story forward in my opinion it can again it depends on the story blah 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 but let's say for in this example it doesn't i'll i'll simply ask for how does this, these three paragraphs or three pages of backstory, how does this service the story itself? What in this does the reader need to know? And is there anything that could be done? Um, could it be broken out as more like, you know, interesting innuendo in the story itself? Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, like we've had a few stories that we received. They had good bones and I gave them feedback like that. And my gosh, the the responses were brilliant. I mean, the stories are gorgeous, right? Um, so our goal isn't to make this Lisa story or Jade's story or one of our other editor's stories. Our goal is to make this the writer's story and the reader's story, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so we go through all that. Um, and then once these stories and the author has to agree that it's final, right? So once the author agrees it's final, um, it then gets formatted 
Um, it actually does. We get a Library of Congress number, so it actually a copy of it will stay in eternity in the Library of Congress, which is pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah, um, we p- use a, a distributor that distributes to all the big places, so the Costco's, the Targets, the Barnes and Nobles, um, you name it, any place can carry it. Um, they distribute. I mean, libraries can pick up the stories. Um, so for our, all of our pa- paperback publications can be picked up anywhere, right? Um, small bookstores, big bookstores, you name it. Um, and then we also publish an ebook format. Uh, again, just so it de- just depends on what you prefer, paperback or ebook, basically. Okay. So most of the time what happens is, so if it's a part of the anthology, they get a flat fee, and then they usually get a copy of the ebook and a copy, one copy of the paperback. And then we offer them... Um, to get, get a certain cost, right? Because some people, you know, they want to give it to their friends and family or whatever. Yeah. And then what the, yeah, and then what the press does is there's this thing called a one-pager. Um, oh, so yeah. a one, yeah, yeah. So the one-pager, it's like the two-minute spiel of the story. Um, what is the ISBN number? Uh, who's the distributor? The Who are the main contacts of the press? And like maybe a brief bio of the author and then the cover of the, the uh, piece. And we then distribute that to um, libraries, bookstores and uh, primary, primarily libraries and bookstores. Okay. And then we also give that to the author so that if the author wants to, he or she can um, distribute that to their local contacts. Right. Um, we also then put out a press release and that press release is broadly distributed. And, um, uh, interestingly, we put, just put out a, a novella anthology and the press release got a lot of, uh, it got picked up quite a bit, which, so that was kind of nice. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And then what we also do is we do an interview series with our authors on our uh, website, runningwildpress.com. So we basically, we share the love. So one of our uh, team members will reach out to the author and ask, you know, whatever pertinent questions they have. And they always be sure to read the story beforehand so that the questions are more so tailored to that specific author and to the story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, we also do a brainstorming session with all of our authors. So um, usually we try to have it maybe one or two months beforehand. Um, we get our whole team together, the, so the whole press, and then we get all the authors together, and we have a literal rundown of here's all the things that the press provides for you, right, for uh, for publication, um, publicity, marketing, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we give them suggestions on how they can um, publicize themselves, right? And here's all the material that you need for for it, all that stuff. Now, what's cool about that is a lot of times these authors don't realize that um, they are walking publicity machines themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of them, they're members of writers groups. They go to conferences. They have their own favorite bookstore. They have their own favorite library, right? And it's really kind of talking to the people that they already know and who love them and kind of letting them know, like, hey, I've got this story coming out. I'd love it if, you know, would you carry it or would you pick it up or whatever? Um, 
one young lady we just published in the novella works at a gourmet uh, hot dog shop. I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and um, which is kind of funny because her novella is called Well Fed um, and she works at a gourmet hot dog shop. Anyway. I yeah, I loved it. So she had a happy hour, believe it or not. And um, the the family that owns the hot dog shop um, offered to have a happy hour and book signing at their place. And, um, you know, it looked like it went really, really well. So, you know, it's kind of we don't leave the writer and say, OK, yeah, go you go off and do whatever. Um, anything that they do, we make sure to advertise and to use social media. So we put it on our website and on our Facebook page and on Twitter and, you know, tag anybody and everybody we can think of to make sure that, you know, it's as broadly, uh, it can be as broadly made aware as possible, which was like mm-hmm. the crappiest sentence on the planet. But hey, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we really, really partner for for like novels, so full length pieces. We follow a model um, that's pretty common, I think, among small presses. It's more of a POD style. Um, so we'll give a small amount up front, okay. um, and then uh, after that, they get uh, it's a forty sixty. So forty percent of net sales go to the author, and sixty go to the press. Um, okay. We sometimes negotiate that if it's a more a better known author, um, you know, we'll we'll pay them more. I guess you could say uh, we will have a we'll have a, a cookbook coming out by a pretty well known chef in Philadelphia. Um, he wants to do one uh, that's really more about how to get your family to cook together. Cool. And uh, yeah, it's cool. And he's going to give I think ten percent of proceeds to a charity. Okay. So we thought that was great and said, hey, you know, we'll take the 10 percent out of our cut. Right. Like, that's not a big deal. Um, so it's kind of like a win for everybody. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's that's our like how we take do acceptances. That's our business model or on um, our payment structure. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. so in the writing and let's say publishing world, what are some really bad recommendations or information that you hear people constantly giving out? Oh, wow. So w- one is, you know, just go ahead, head and so- go ahead and self publish yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I do really honestly believe it depends on your own personal goals. Um, I had one woman when I, when I ha- had the writer's, community in Philadelphia, I had a woman who came to me. She wanted me to um, consult with her on a business book. And she had been a very senior executive, right? And she showed me some of the material, but she was basically um, quote, uh, quote unquote, quoting uh, instances that she experienced in her life. And I said, is any of this documented anywhere? Right. Mm -hmm. Or is this purely anecdotal? And, um, she admitted it was it was just anecdotal. And I'm like, well, the problem is you're saying some kind of racy stuff here. And, um, you know, you're setting yourself and, you know, if someone chooses to publish this up for lawsuit. Right. Uh-huh. And and um, she never thought of it that way. She just thought, well, you know, this is my truth. Right. Which is great. It, you know, it's great. We all have our truths. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in her mind, I was the last, like I was her last step before she decided to self-publish. Okay. And I, I advised her, I'm like, this is your choice. It is, it's your life. It's your story. But if you're going to publish this as a business book and you're going to you're basically positioning some people as the antagonists, then you may want to seriously consider how you approach this, right? Mm-hmm. Like change names to protect the not so innocent. I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, in her case, telling her to publish on Amazon was a bad idea. I mean, just from a morality perspective, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if the other big uh, one that I, well, I, I struggled with a lot was I was told don't accept anything except for a big publishing house, mm-hmm. right? And I, although I understood the intent behind that and the intent was, you know, don't go poor, right? Like the assumption that if you go with a big house, then suddenly that by default means you're going to do really well. Mm-hmm. The reality is what we had talked about earlier, right? I mean, it, a, a large house is only going to go after pieces that they believe are actually going to sell and sell well. Otherwise, there's no point, sure. right, from their perspective, which is I totally get, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that is also to me a, a bad uh, bit of advice. Um, another bit of advice I've heard is like, um, you know, if you can't, if you don't get published in two years, give up. I know of people who've been writing and they're gorgeous writers, uh, for more than 10 years and they haven't been published. And it doesn't mean that the writing's bad. It may mean they don't really know where they fit in the grander scheme of things or that where their writing fits and and they just haven't found the right place, it can mean thousands of things, right? Mm -hmm. So that's really, you know, bad, bad advice. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's anything that's kind of limiting, I think, is bad advice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 that that makes sense. Anything that kind of wants people to to stop or, um, you know, just kind of give up when they don't need to, that makes, makes sense. Yeah, or like, this is my rule for life, right? My rule for life is, unless I know this is going to be a New York Times bestseller, screw you, I'm not doing it. Well, that's kind of, I mean, okay, that's your choice, right? But that doesn't have to be the rule for everybody else, right? Yeah, exactly. And the thing with New York Times bestsellers is it's, I've read a few articles about this. It's technically, there are ways to game it and to buy Mm -hmm. yourself into those. Oh, yeah. Did you see the one, some woman did that. Did you, did you read that? It was a few months ago, I think. Ooh, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I read that one, um, but I've read I've, I have read a couple articles about I forgot what, what it was like there was like an actual company that came out with exactly the strategy they used to get someone onto the New York Times bestseller list by like partnering with a couple of different locations of like barn like fall, calling a bunch of different Barnes and Nobles and yep. like their entire strategy was was like listed on there and I was like wow this is first off I had no idea it was that easy. For mm-hmm. like less than ten thousand dollars to basically buy yourself a bestseller, mm-hmm. but it's cool they put their entire strategy up because if somebody was so inclined, they could just follow the exact same strategy again and repeat that process. 
Yeah, and if you want to forward that to me, then I'm totally fine. <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll once I find that article again, I will forward that to you because it was it's fascinating. Mm. I'm so for my own personal thing, I'm investigating that kind of stuff just because I'm I'm interested in the publishing world and mm-hmm. of writing a business card book, basically. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how other people approach that technique. So it was just in my usual research, found that fascinating. Yeah, I mean, part of our research too was. Um, like looking at the experts who write business card books, I'm like, this is how easy it is to be a million, you know, book published author. Yeah. And, you know, I read it and I'm like, you just invested $50,000 to sell, you know, so it's great if you have $50,000 up front and you already have a big platform and you already know you can sell this to like a million people, right? Mm-hmm. Cause clearly you're going to have a decent return on investment. Most people don't have $50,000 <laughs> right? <laughs> to like publish on Amazon, you know what I mean? Like, or in, in, in another platform. So, uh, but yeah, no, yeah. So to your point, there are certain, um, I think they're called third term flagship bookstores. And those are the ones that are tracked that the New York times uses as their primary tracking bookstores. Right. Yes, and, yes. Um, it's, like, it's like Barnes and Nobles and also independent bookstores and a few other things. Yeah, certain key ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are certain yeah. key ones. Not all, right? It's like a subset. Right. There's a subset. And, um, and in this article, they like listed the actual key ones. Did they? Oh, yeah. yeah I need that article. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's only, uh, I don't, well, I'm pretty sure this is true, but you only have to sell like 5,000 books um, yes. at those at those locations in total, right? Yeah. yeah. To so, be, uh, yeah. Yeah, because in theory, you could – and I think also it talks about how they found out the key ones was by, like, cold calling and asking them if they reported to the New York Times. But then part of that is – you're right. You could – if you had the – so we're so inclined to have the money, find out where the key spots were and then just send either yourself or someone else to go in to these locations mm-hmm. and buy the books yourselves. Yeah, and that's that, what they if, did. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what your only goal was as a New York Times bestselling author. You just need some – you need money. Right. And then you just take care of it yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's a sad reality of, of that list. Well, yeah. And I know the one instance I'm aware of, she wrote a YA book that somehow toppled like this long running YA book. And mm-hmm. which is someone who follows the New York Times bestseller list, specifically the YA section portion. was like, this is impossible. I've never heard of this author. I've never heard of this book. Right. There's been no buzz. Yeah. So like even in the writing world, because so back to the point of like overnight bestsellers, typically those authors have been around a long time. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just that the general public don't they don't know who they who these authors are. So that seems like an overnight bestseller. But in reality, this person was probably pretty well known in writing circles for a while. You know. Yeah. Um, So anyway. But yeah. So this woman had I, I don't know who did. Uh, called those flagship bookstores and pre-ordered like something cr- like, you know, 500 books per bookstore. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to take long for you to get on the New York Times bestseller list by doing that. Um, so she would just have to retain those books long enough. I don't I don't know that uh, returns count. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I th- yeah, I think returns. So they have to buy them and not be returned within a certain, uh, I guess, I have, now I have to think about this. I don't know how returns would work, right? So in mm-hmm. theory, you could purchase them and then wait a week because then Times bestseller list 
and then return them. And then why do you care? Because if your purpose, the, the person I'm referencing now, her goal was she wanted to sell it to a movie studio. Mm-hmm. And the studio said, well, if, if it becomes a New York Times bestseller, then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll option it. Oh, and okay. so like literally the day it showed up on the New York Times bestseller list, her hiney was in that uh, studio's <laughs> exec's office. Okay, look, bestseller, yeah. you have to pick me up now. So. Wait, so I think we might actually be talking about the same article. Is it for the book Handbook for Mortals? It might be, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, so I just found the article again. I'll forward it to you anyway, but yeah, okay. it's basically like she figured out, well, it could be he or she. I wasn't sure on this one, but it was like mm-hmm. they called the bookstores. They figured out that buying more than 30 books at Barnes & Nobles or 80 books at an independent store consi- was considered this corporate sale, which then got them in this whole new category. Yes, yes that's sp- it. They mm-hmm. spread that out to a few different stores in the across the country during the same week, and that's how they did it for less than five thousand books. Yep. Yeah. So that might, but I'll I'll forward you this article in case it's a little bit different version of it. But oh, cool. it's uh it's kind of fascinating how that works. Mm-hmm. In in your own life, and I guess maybe in, in on either your writing or your business world life, when there are times when you feel overwhelmed or say fearful about taking the next step. What do you do to push past that? And are there any particular questions or, or feelings that you kind of like notice and, and ask yourself to, to help you get past those moments? Hmm. Wow. So um, it's almost like divine intervention, <laughs> 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 which sounds so hokey. But <laughs> um, every time I have sat back and said um, – I, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, I'm not talented enough. I'm not um, like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Actually, I've never said I'm not talented enough, but um, I, <laughs> but I have said, <laughs> um, I have said that I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm tired. This is exhausting. Um, you know, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Every single time, Someone has reached out to me and either a piece that I wrote got picked up. I had someone reach out to me and, you know, just sort of talk about how wonderful my writing was and how it helped them or changed them or, um, you know, like with, with the running wild press, the reason I didn't do it sooner because in, in, all honesty, I had had several people come to me, including one of my instructors at FUMFA, who yeah. said, you're a brilliant editor. And I don't view myself that way, right? Um, I view myself as I'm here to help myself or other writers write the best story for readers, right? That whatever, take whatever that diamond in the rough is, make it a gem and then really put it in front of the light. And in my mind, that wasn't the same thing as an editor. If I don't right. know if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I really avoided it like the plague. Um, anytime anyone brought it up, I was just like, I'm not, I'm not an editor. I don't do that. Um, and 
someone finds uh, someone more recently had come to me uh, and said uh, that they would have never been able to get a story published. It, we didn't publish it, by the way. It's something that a friend of mine asked me to review and kind of help them edit. Okay. And um, they didn't think they could have gotten it published without my help. And that was like, okay, I guess I, I am pretty good at this. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's things like that. It's, it's moments when, you know, like the instructor at Philadelphia writers conference saying, you know, you, you were born to do this or, you know, my MFA instructor saying, you know, you're a brilliant editor or, you know, a reader, someone who's read a piece of mine and said, this really changed my life. Or actually uh, a bunch of people who are in, we're going to publish a short story anthology, the second volume. And it's targeted for end of February. And um, a few people who are in it uh, let me know that they had submitted because they loved the stories we had published before. Mm-hmm. And they they wanted to be affiliated with the, with our press. So it's those types of things that make me say, okay, you know, get rid of the self doubt and just push forward. So that's good. Mm-hmm. In everything that you've done over the years, what would you say is the best advice you've ever received? Uh, so a few. One is don't give up. If mm-hmm. this is something you really want. Uh, you, you know, take a break if you need to, uh, do research, whatever it is you need to do to kind of reinvigorate those juices, but do not give up. No one wins. No one accomplishes. No one succeeds by giving up. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is do your homework. So, you know, I, Jade and I could have easily just said, I'm going to go on create space <laughs> and I'm going to publish everything I've ever written. And, you know, I'll only invite my immediate close friends and maybe I'll publish their stuff too. And, um, you know, no, we did our homework. We did our research. We found distributors that we thought were decent, you know, easy to work with. Um, we came up with creative ways to do cover art, um, we, you know, research different presses and their operating models. Uh, we, we, and then try to figure out what fit with what our, our goals were for the press. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes a world of difference. I mean, it, it, it's somewhere between pantsing it and, um, having a very thorough business five year business plan, which I've never seen a business plan, especially when it's five years long, actually get executed exactly the way that it was, um, written but you know i could be totally wrong um (laughs) (laughs) so you know it's somewhere in between um but you know do your research do your homework figure out what what it is you're really trying to do and and how tactically you can actually accomplish it Mm -hmm. um to me those are like and and try and stay as positive uh as you can and um listen and i think that's just a life truth is that when people are telling you something especially if you hear it more than you know two or three times um there's something there that you really should kind of not just hear but ingest and figure out how are you going to respond to it right yeah 
Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to uh, hear and see more about what you are working on, where is the best place they can find your information? They can go to runningwildpress.com. We also have a Facebook page, which is Running Wild Press, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a Twitter, which is Run Wild Books. And they can also find me on Twitter at Lisa D. Kastner. And yeah. We're also wherever books are sold. And if they don't have the book, just go up to your favorite uh, bookseller and say, hey, I want this book. And they'll <laughs> they'll pick it up. So Perfect. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I will put those in the show notes so that people can just click right through. Awesome. Great. Well, again, thank you so much, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Of course. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.